0: The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. Well, I encourage you to take two things. As you came in this morning, you were handed out a January newsletter. I would encourage you to pull that out as well as take your Bible and turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. As I mentioned, if you are visiting with us, uh, we do what's called Month of Prayer in the Word. We've been doing this for many years. We begin our year to remind us of these two very important spiritual disciplines in the life of us as believers, as well as, as a church, to make certain that we are understanding the two foundational principles of a church, prayer and fasting. And as you're turning there, I just want to say a word of thanks to some of you. Many of you know that my brother... Uh, passed away this past Monday by a heart attack at age of 53. Um, many of you prayed for him. He was my brother who fought COVID uh, a couple years ago. Uh, God gave him a second chance after that, and uh, this past Monday he had a heart attack and suddenly passed away. And so my family and I traveled out of state, and so we traveled back this weekend. So my prayers, uh, I'd ask you to just pray for my family, my parents, and my oldest brother's uh, son as he... Uh, Grieves this time. So I thank you for your prayers for my family and for us uh, during this time as we also mourn the loss. Uh, So you've been gracious. Many of you who knew sent texts and phone calls. So we greatly appreciate uh, your support. So today I stand uh, not in the strength of Byron Brown, but in the strength of Jesus. So as I come to you to deliver this word, it's a word by which God had given me and that I wanted to be here to deliver to you today. Uh, what is important for us uh, as believers, our hope is not in this world. Uh, this is a temporary world, and we, were going to, we are going to pass from this world. And so my word that I said to the people who were there gathered at the funeral, and I would say the same to you. Make the most of the life that God has given you, and to live for the kingdom of God. And every one of us one day is going to close our eyes to meet our king. You don't know if it's going to be at 83 or 53, like my brother. But I guarantee you, every one of us is going to meet him. My challenge to each of you is to be ready. And one of the ways by which you can be ready and be prepared are the things that I've mentioned to you last Sunday and the things that I'm going to say to you today. If you want God to use your life, you can't do it by putting your life on cruise with God. We have to pursue him, to study the word, to meet with him. And the things that I want to challenge you through this month... These things are not just to busy your calendar or our church calendar, but these events that we put together during the month of prayer and the word is so that we can actually humble ourselves and genuinely seek the Lord, a way of resetting our spiritual walks with him that we're often so prone to drift in our walks. And January is a great time for us to come together as a church, and I would say the same to you for you at home is that you would take this month to really evaluate and genuinely seek the Lord through prayer and a refocus on God's Word so that God can truly be preparing you and us as a church so that we can make the most of our lives. And so now I encourage you to take that sheet that I ask you to pay attention to because I just want to draw your attention to this. We gave it to you last week. We gave it to you again this week, I did a poor job of really explaining this sheet last week of the opportunities that are in front of you, in front of us as a church, for this month of prayer and the Word. Uh, starting this coming Wednesday night, we'll be, we will resume our Wednesday night ministries, and we will have our night of prayer and worship and the Lord's Supper. But that begins with a time of a meal, a fellowship meal at 5 o'clock, where we'll come together together. It's going to be a soup bar. It's going to be broccoli and cheese soup. If I can entice you a little bit. Potato soup. And then there's going to also be chicken noodle soup. And there's going to be bread. And there's going to be salad. It's an opportunity for us to come together and just generally fellowship together. And then we come in here at 630. And then we pray together. We worship the Lord. We pray together. And each of our Wednesday nights through the month of January is going to be that focus. Simply to hear from God and to seek His face. So I'd encourage you. If you want to come, you need to sign up for the meal on Tuesday. And then this coming Saturday, gentlemen, we're going to have a men's prayer breakfast at 7.30. It's going to be a potluck. I would encourage you to come to, these, come to that. All of these things you can sign up for either by going to our Month of Prayer website page. It's on our website. You can click the Month of Prayer banner, and all this is going to be pulled up. There's hyperlinks. So you can click on those things. Or if you have our app, you can click on them there. But I want to encourage you men to come. I'm going to be challenging you to be a man of prayer, to be a man that leads your family, that leads your home. I want to encourage you to be here to start your year off right as we will pray for one another. And then next Sunday, January the 14th at 9 o'clock, it's not on the paper, our preschool ministry leaders, Tim and Angie, are going to be leading all the parents. They're going to meet together just so they can hear, they can share with what your kids are learning uh, in the preschool ministry, and then take some time then to pray together for the preschoolers as well as your families. And then uh, next Sunday, Sunday, immediately after church, is going to be our community prayer walk. It's going to be our first time we've done this. Uh, Caleb, my student uh, pastoral intern, is is going to be leading that time. Uh, We're going to have a meal together. That's going to be provided for you. You just need to sign up for this. And then we're going to get assignments. And you say, I never prayer walked before. Well, it's praying and walking. It's pretty simple. And we're going to give you some instructions of where to go. How to do that? We're going to be praying over schools and communities and neighborhoods. And we're going to get instructions and we'll break out the teams and send people out. And don't worry, we won't put you in a place where you feel like that you haven't done that before. But if you want to learn how to prayer walk, I would encourage you to be a part of this. It's something that when we go on mission trips, it's something that we do. Also, when we go into communities, what we did in a Southeast Asia trip, we walked throughout the city, we asked the things that we saw, we prayed for those things and prayed for God to work. And we'll just show you how this works. Uh, Back in 1997, I was on a mission team that went to China, and we were in an Islamic quarter. As far as we knew, according to the International Mission Board, which is a part of our Southern Baptist Convention, our mission agency, we were one of the first teams to go into this particular people group's community. And all our assignment was for that entire week was just to go in there and pray. And that's all we did every day. We walked, we prayed, we met people, and we'd sit down and we'd eat and we'd just pray. One of the last days we were there, we were walking by this school, and we just prayed for it, but we were invited into the school. Now, if we had not been there walking this particular quarter, what I'm about to tell you would not have happened. We put the relationship with that particular principal. This is in a Muslim quarter, and that principal of that particular school invited our leader and our school to return back many years succeeding that to go back and to do sports camps into that particular Muslim school to be able to do sports camps and share the gospel. That happened because we were there prayer walking, and God opened the door for many people to go again. So I just want to encourage you, don't think it's just some small thing. This is an important thing. Everything of God's movement has begun with prayer. So I'd encourage you to become to be a part of that. Then again, next Wednesday after that, the 17th, again, another prayer night. And then next Two weeks from this Sunday on the 21st, if you're just following your paper, I'm just talking from memory, is there's going to have some prayer gatherings in some homes uh, throughout the parish. There's going to be one in Slidell, one in Pearl River, one in Lacombe, and one in Covington. And you'll see the host homes in the back of your paper there in Slidell. Adam and Jessica Thibodeau are going to be hosting that. I'm going to lead that prayer time. The Pearl River location is hosted by Robert Patrice Sims. Uh, John Jameson is going to be leading that time. Uh, Jacob and Pam Changers is going to be hosting in Lacombe, and Andrew's going to be leading that prayer group, and then in Covington, hosted by Norman and Chung-Chi, and then John DeGaris is going to be leading that time. There's a sign-up for each of those. If those things fill up and it pops you to a wait list, don't worry. We'll contact you. We do have overflows prepared for in case those homes get uh, filled up. We get together, we fellowship a little bit, and then we pray. You say, what do you do in those times? We pray. We seek the face of the Lord because we want to humble ourselves because we want to see God move and work. It's been some sweet times when we've done those particular gatherings. And you'll see those last couple of opportunities that's there on Wednesday. So I would encourage you to make the most of this month. Put yourself in these places. If you say you don't know how to pray, one of the ways that you learn how to pray is listening to other people pray. And I just want to encourage you to remember this. Prayer is not about eloquence. Prayer is about sincerity of your heart. Whether it's three words or 30 words, God is looking at the heart. So I want to encourage you to come. Well, today we're going to study the word together. Joshua chapter 1. Just as a reminder from last week, I want to give you the definition again. We talked about fasting. I challenged you last week to consider as we move into this month, things that's in your life. Whether it is a person or maybe a decision or maybe direction or maybe a burden that you feel like that you need to really commit to the Lord this year to fasting and prayer, that you would genuinely consider and take the time to do that. Maybe you haven't done that this far this past week. We've got three weeks left in the month of January. And I would encourage you to truly consider this. This is the definition I gave you regarding fasting. Fasting is primarily restraining oneself from food for a specific time combined with prayer in order to focus on God more intently and to present a specific need to him. So your fasting is your self-denial, your way by which you're humbling yourself before the Lord. And then your prayer is you're seeking the face of God and you're laying your need before Him. Whether you fast breakfast, whether you fast lunch, or whether you fast dinner, whether you do all of it, just find a time. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're fasting, don't just busy yourself during the meal that you're fasting from. The purpose of fasting is to substitute the meal with pursuit of God. So if you're fasting from breakfast, then take the time that you would normally have breakfast and genuinely get on your face before the Lord and lay your needs before Him and seek Him. Whether you're doing that once a week, twice a week, you decide that between you and the Lord. There is no perfect number. It's simply just saying, I'm going to do this. You may have never fasted before, then I would challenge you to do it because simply fasting is seeking the face of God more intently than just praying with your particular needs. So that was what I mentioned to you last week. I won't re-preach the sermon. I would encourage you, if you didn't hear what I taught you last week, I would encourage you to go back and hear that word. Now, what I do my pattern is, the month of prayer and the word. I'll be at the first sermon on prayer. The second one, I want to teach you about the word of God and the importance of that. This is not just simply say, hey, do it. You know you need to do it, but why do we need those things? And what does God promise us to do? Joshua chapter 1 is a great passage of Scripture for us to evaluate in regards to the challenge that Joshua was given by God in regards to the assignment that God had given him that he's about to take on a huge responsibility. And here's what I want you to get with this. If Joshua is going to be having this major assignment by God and God then is going to give him some rules to say, in order for you to be successful in this, you're going to need to be able to have the Word of God. And you're going to need to make sure that you're obeying all of it. Otherwise, success is not going to be happening to you. So I'm going to bring to you this morning the sermon from Joshua chapter 1 called Strong, Courageous, and Success with God's Word in 2024. Strong, Courageous, and Successful with God's Word in 2024. Now, if you're immediately thinking about what successful means in your definition regarding what the world considers in regards to success, that's not necessarily what I am talking about. I'm talking about the success by which God is outlying very clearly here in Joshua chapter 1. Our... Americanized mind is often tilted when we think about success. We think of success regarding money and possessions. We only think of worldly and material things. That's not what Joshua was told by God. But God is going to tell him to be strong and courageous. He's going to give him a very strong command. And then there's some conditions to the success. So what we're going to do most of our time this morning is to look at the conditions that God gives Joshua... In order to be successful. But in order to understand that. We're going to look at the assignment that God gave him. We're going to look at the command that God gave him. Then we're going to look at the conditions for the success. That God gave him. And those conditions are all based upon. What Joshua is going to do. With the word that he had. So let's read the word together. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. And we'll begin to go back. And then we'll unpack those. And also we'll be looking at Numbers chapter 13. So at some point I would encourage you. To find that spot as well. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's talk about the assignment that God is giving Joshua. Has anybody ever given you a task or an assignment from your employer? You thought it was a little bit over your head. That was a little bit more than you probably could think that you could handle. Well, whatever you're thinking of in that moment, it pales in comparison to what God is giving Joshua. Moses has been an amazing leader for the people of Israel for 40 years. They've walked through the wilderness. He's led them out of Egypt, and now Moses has died. And now the time for the torch has been passed to Joshua. He's not leading five people. He's not leading 50 people. He's leading in the estimates about 2 million people. This is a massive task that God is giving him. And we know this assignment that has been given him is now it's his job to lead them out of the wilderness and actually into the promised land that the people of Israel were actually supposed to get initially when Moses was going to lead them out of Egypt. We see it very clearly there. If you would look look again at verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Go over the Jordan, which means that they're down in the Egypt area. They've gone into the wilderness and to get past and cross over the Jordan If you understand that what has happened in the book of Exodus is Moses has led the people through the wilderness time. They were on the east side of the Jordan and two and a half tribes of the twelve wanted land on the east side of the Jordan. So they helped conquer that. They were there, but going across the Jordan was the promised land that God had promised to give them that they did not get because of their disobedience. They were in the wilderness due to their wandering and their disobedience to what God had told them to do. Now it's time for them to cross over the Jordan and to go. Now remember, Moses didn't die because of bad health. Moses didn't die because uh, he had some kind of sickness. Moses dies because the time for them to enter in the promised land and the time for their wandering is over, and God had disciplined Moses that he was not going to be able to go in the promised land because he had not done what God had told him to do. Now here's a little bit of background. The people in the the wilderness, they, they needed some water to drink. And there was one time where God told him to strike the rock and water came out. Then there was a second time that God had told him to speak to the rock. And the people agitated Moses. And in his agitation, rather than speaking to the rock and God to bring water out, he hit the rock and water still came out. But as a punishment to Moses, God told Moses due to your disobedience, and these were the words, he said, because you have not held up my holiness before the people of Israel, you will not go into the promised land. And so when you get to the end of Exodus, then in the end of Deuteronomy, what happens is Moses is only allowed to see it, but not to go into it. And so what has happened in just preceding this book, just one chapter removed, if you would just flip back one page to the end of Deuteronomy, you'll see the summation of what happens. The Bible actually tells us that Moses was still in good health. He's still fine. It actually tells us in verse 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 34, when Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Let me translate that for you. He's still kicking good. But because of his disobedience, God's not allow him to be able to go in. And so it's time for God's going to take his life. And then now it's Joshua's turn, who's been kind of his right-hand man. Joshua and Caleb have been leading through the wilderness time. And then God is going to now use Joshua. But prior to Moses' death, in a way by which all the people would know that Joshua was going to be the next leader, something took place. It was really kind of a transfer in regards to... The authority and the power and the spirit that was on Moses now becomes up on Joshua. If you would look at verses 9 of Deuteronomy 34. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So when you get to... Joshua chapter 1, this assignment that is given by God to Joshua has already been in the works. This is now the moment where it is the final time where they need to cross and Joshua's task is, hey, I'm calling you to do what Moses was supposed to do and there was disobedience, but now you are the one that's going to lead them into this promised land. Now, this is a huge task. Now, some of you think, well, maybe Joshua's just got, maybe he's young. Well, let's kind of back up to realize Joshua, based upon some timetables, Joshua's probably around 80 about this time. Because remember, he is one of the the 12 spies, actually, that was sent into the promised land to spy it out. Now, I'm giving you lots of Bible history that you can go back and be able to read, but I want you to understand what's happening. Well, he he and Caleb were the only two spies that actually is going to live of the older generation. All the older generation is going to die off in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. So, According to what Caleb says, now Caleb in Joshua chapter 14 verse 7, you can write this verse down, to use Caleb's age, in Joshua chapter 14, Caleb said he was 40 when when Moses sent them in into the wilderness to spy out. Now Joshua is around that same time frame that we're estimating then, in this moment after the wilderness, so now he's about 80 years old, that now God is calling him to lead this massive group of people to an amazing Thing. This is not going to be a one-day task. Because when you think about the geographical region that God is telling Joshua to lead them in, it's massive. If you look at verses 4, and I know that we just kind of read it, but what is being laid out for Joshua is actually the geographical boundaries of the land that they're supposed to conquer. He gives them all of the coordinates And I don't have time to be able to show you a map, but in all those particular coordinates, he's basically saying this is your north, this is your east, this is your west, and this is your south. All that land. Now, just to tell you in summation here, it equals to about 12,000 square miles. This is a small task. Joshua, go get it. Now, this is not just walking over to this task and to be able to walk into land that's uninhabited. If you remember, when, when Moses sent the people into the promised land to spy it out, Joshua and Caleb says, let's go get it. The other ten came back and said, the cities are fortified and the people are big. And I'm paraphrasing it. And so the people got afraid. Now, if you remember also that when they were there, that the land was so blessed in regards to what they could get there. If you remember, there's this one story where they cut a cluster of grapes, and the cluster of grapes is so big, they carry one cluster of grapes on a stick between two people. I'd like to see seen that grape. That's pretty massive, right? I mean, we go to Walmart, we're like, here's my cluster of grapes. So we get the picture that's amazing. And so this is the background in regards to what has happened. that so the, 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 the place that Joshua is supposed to lead is inhabited with lots of people. Yes, it's lush, it's beautiful, as the phrase, it flows with milk and honey, meaning it's just glorious, but yet there's all these people. So when God tells Joshua to go, he knows this land is inhabited with people who are not God-worshippers, and they're going to have to go in this land, and they're not going to yield it. Willingly, so this means it's going to be a task for them in regards to what God has given him to do. Now, this is not going to be an overnight thing. This is why God is telling Joshua, You need to be strong and courageous. Now, according to all the book of Joshua, it takes them 30 years to do this job. Now, how many of us want God to work overnight? Very quickly to the things that might be in front of us. But this was his particular assignment and what God was giving him to do. But God was going to give him some promises along the way. This is what becomes the foundation for the command and the charge that God was giving him. There are three specific promises that God gave Joshua as he's going to go into him. And I'm going to point them out to you again. Verse 3, look at the first one. Every place that the sole of your feet treads, I've given to you. Meaning, wherever you go, it's yours. That's the first promise. The second promise that goes along with that, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you. So wherever he goes, it's going to be theirs. And even if the people are there and it's inhabited, and yes, the fortified cities are still there, God is telling Joshua, look, they're not going to come against you. But the greatest thing in all those things is at the end of verse 5, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise, three promises that God has given Joshua, this major assignment. Hey, I know it's going to be hard. It's going to take a long time. Wherever you go, it's yours. Nobody's going to come against you. But on all those things, God's presence is going to be with you. Major assignment that God had given him. Now, we, sometimes we like to take these things and we like to make application to our lives. And there's some of these things that we can't make direct application to. For example, number one, we can't say wherever I put my foot belongs to me. Right? That's called trespassing. We can't necessarily say, every person that comes against me, nobody's going to come against me. Well, that's not true. What did Jesus say in John chapter 6, verse 13? In this world, you will have trouble. And we know that we're going to have enemies because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, that we're supposed to pray for our enemies. So are people going to come against us? Certainly so. But what we can say is, in all those things, we know the last one for sure is applicable to all of us. I will not leave you or forsake you. Did Jesus make a promise similar to that? He certainly did. Matthew 28, verse 20, you know what Jesus said in the Great Commission? I will never leave you. And Jesus said in John 14 and John chapter 16, He said, I'm going away and I'm going to send another comforter to be with you. So when we look at this as an application, I want to start with saying, you know, maybe your assignment and my assignment, it's not as big as Joshua's. Are any of us leading two million people? No. But sometimes we like to diminish the assignments God has given us. Maybe we're young, maybe we're older, and the assignments that God has given you. I don't know what your assignment may be. Maybe it's just simply thinking through the tasks that God has called you to do, or your job, your occupation, and what God has called you to be. But he's called you to, number one, to, first and foremost, is if you were a Christian, you were a child of God. You belong to the King. And so the assignments that he has given us, as he told us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through sixteen, he says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, you're a city set on a hill. So he's told us that we're supposed to make a difference in this kingdom. So you say, I don't have a job like Joshua. Well, you are, have a job. He's not called you here just to suck oxygen. He's called us to make a difference for the kingdom. So whatever task he's given you, whether it's being a father, a husband, or a mother, or single, or widow, whatever it may be, you're still on assignment. As long as you are here on this earth, you still are on assignment for the kingdom. We are the servants, and he's the king. He's given us a job, and our job is to make his name known and to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So yeah, maybe you're not Joshua, but the good news is he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Now, with that particular assignment, he gives him the command. That command is right there that you've heard me say. it. It's in verse 6, it's in verse 7, and it's again in verse 9. What is the command? Be strong and courageous. Now, why would God need to tell Joshua be strong and courageous? Unless it's going to be hard. Unless it's going to be difficult. Now, why would he say be strong and courageous if he's already told him, hey, wherever you go, it's yours. Wherever you go, nobody's going to come against you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. Because he knows that Joshua is like us, that we are human and we're prone to fear and worry. But in the midst of that, but his strength and his courage is not based just upon his determination. His Strength and courage is based upon what God had just told him. Wherever you go is yours. No one's coming against you, and I'm going to be with you. So his strength and courage is not based upon his intellect or his ability or favoritism. It's the fact, he says, be strong and courageous based upon these three promises. So in regards to our lives as believers and the things that God's called you and me to do to be strong and courageous to do what God has called us to do. Our strength and courage is not just trying to get ourselves built up in the morning, trying to give ourselves a pep talk. Okay, you can do this today. You can do this today. Our strength and our courage is rooted in the character of God, the promises of God, the words of God. So when you have a difficult thing at work, you have a difficult thing at home, you have a difficult thing that you have to work through, so you, for example, when I'm saying with my family, telling them the difficulty of walking through sadness and grief, the promises that we hold to is the fact of what God says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I say this to all of you. God promises to be a God of all comfort. So we're strong and courageous in regards to all of our lives. So if you're facing an enemy at work, for example, you're facing an enemy that may be in your family. Well, you stand not because you're going to be greater than they are, but you're going to stand on the promises that says the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Romans 2.5. You stand on truths. And so this is what's going to hold Joshua. When he's going to go into those battles, it's going to be hard. When he's going to go in those territories where the cities are fortified. When he goes in those cities that says it has the descendants of Anak that are extremely tall, there's going to be some giants. What's going to give him the courage then? Because if he looks at, if he's just basing on what he sees, that's where fear comes in. But what he has to do is to depend upon what God has said. Now, listen closely. You say, where does this connect to the word of God? Now, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. God was speaking verbally to Joshua. God has spoken to us through his word. God's spoken word is the same as his written word. And so we hold... To what is true, if you 're waiting for God to speak to you before you do something, then you might be waiting a long time because he 's already spoken because God has spoken to us with all of these sixty six books of how and what he wants us to be able to do now it 's three times he told him, be strong and courageous, and they are in the imperative tone in the Hebrew language there because he wants them not just think about it, he wants him to do it, he has to be decisive okay i 'm going to do this thing now. Why is it that God is telling them to be strong and courageous? A little bit of history here. Turn now to Numbers chapter 13. I want you to give a little background in this strong and courage in regards to what God has called them to do. In Numbers chapter 13, remember, this particular assignment, listen closely to me, was 40 years in the making. This assignment was 40 years in the making because the people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But something was said to them that's actually being repeated now in Joshua chapter 1. When Moses sent out the 12 spies, all the way back here, 40 years prior to this, in Numbers chapter 13, he mentioned to them something identical to what now the Lord is telling Joshua. Look with me at verse 17 of Numbers chapter 13, verse 17 through 20 is what we're going to read. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. "...and see what the land is, and where the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. But be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land." Now, the time was a season of the first ripe grapes. Now, Moses is acknowledging, hey, there might be some hard places, might be some good places... But let me remind you of a promise that God had already given the people of Israel, already given Moses. Remember, they're going out to spy it out, but God had given them a promise just like God had told Joshua. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Numbers 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am what? Giving to the people of Israel. He didn't, listen closely, he didn't send out the spies to check to see if it was possible. He sent out the spies just so they would scope out the land. But God had already promised, I'm giving it to you. And that's the same thing that God has told Joshua now wherever your footsteps, it's yours. Anybody who comes against you, don't worry about it. It's the same promise that God gave them 40 years before and now 40 years of discipline has come to fruition and now it's 40 years of assignment now in the making for Joshua. This is why God is saying to Joshua, Be of good courage. I think it's also to be courageous and strong because Joshua also knows how people were 40 years ago. 40 years ago... There were people who said, we can't do it. But do you know what Joshua and Caleb said after they came back? Chapter 14 of Numbers, notice what Joshua and Caleb said to the people. We'll start at the middle part of verse 7, Numbers 14. The land which we passed through to spy it out... It's exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And don't fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I hope that you see the three truths that God is reminding Joshua of right here 40 years ago. He told them here in Numbers 13 and 14, the land is yours. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, don't worry about the people. And thirdly, he says, and God's with us. So God is reminding him 40 years later in Joshua chapter 1 of the exact same promises. Hey, it's yours. Hadn't changed but 40 years. in the wilderness was because discipline needed to take place for those who were rebelling against me. And so now you fast forward 40 years, and now we have this amazing story where Joshua is going to lead the people in. That's the background And now there's conditions to this. There are conditions in regards to Joshua leading his people into the promised land and being successful. The three promises were what? Wherever your foot goes, it's yours. No one's going to come against you, it's yours. And I'm going to be with you. That's the promises, but listen closely to me. The promises is what God means when they come to fruition. That's what he defines as success. So when God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, and then you will be successful, the success was the completion of going into the land and accomplishing it, coming against the people and the people not coming against them, and then them taking over the territories. That was the success, to complete the task that God had given him. That's the success that God is telling Joshua. But there's conditions to it. And those conditions were all based upon what Joshua was going to do with this right here. God's word. We often want success. We often want God to do amazing things, but we're often not willing to put the work in to do what God's called us to do of the conditions to get the success. Let me tell you you practically. Do you want success as a husband? Let's try that one more time. Do you want success as a husband? Do you want success as wives? You want success as parents? You want success as grandparents? You want success teenagers to be able to accomplish things for God? Success college students? If we think about what we want, then we need to back up and say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I've got a certain quantified number in regards to a salary? Does that mean that I've got perfect health? Is that success? Success is defined by accomplishing and doing God's Word and leaving the results in the hands of God. That's success. And what Joshua is saying, what I want you to get as we start out 2024, if we really want God to move in our lives, move in our family, move in our church, then it's not going to be shortcutted in any way. The only way it's going to be is the conditions that God gave Joshua. These actually are transferable to us as well. There's no way that these would be different than for us. certainly our assignment is different, but the same truths that God gave Joshua are the same for you and me. So I want you to listen closely to them. If you are not disciplined to having time to be in the Word, then I challenge you today to begin anew. And here are the conditions that God gave Joshua. So let's walk through them one by one. What was the first condition for success that God gave Joshua? Number one, back to Joshua chapter 1 in verse 7, it was that he was to obey all of God's word and not turn to the right or to the left. Let me say it to you again. So the condition for him being courageous and successful was based on the promises. But in order for him to do that, God had told Joshua, don't turn to the right or the left, but do all of God's word. Remember, God's spoken word was the same as the written word. Now we have the written word now for us, and so the same principle will be applied. Do all of what God's... Look at it again there in verse 7. Only be courageous, strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant had commanded you. Now, let me just give you some little Bible important uh, truth here. The law of Moses, by the time that Joshua is leading, has already been canonized by God Himself. I mean, the first five books of the Bible—Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy—the law of God that we say, and that's even what Jesus refers to in the Gospels, that the law. So, even by the time of Joshua, the Lord is saying, "Hey, Joshua, the law that Moses had—make sure you do all of it. Meaning, don't pick and choose." But you need to make sure you're doing all of these particular things and don't turn to the right or to the left. What does that mean? Simply, it's a phrase that means that you are not to be able to veer off in any aspect of what God's Word has already said. Well, how do you turn to the right or the left? Let me give you three specific ways that I believe that people turn to the right or the left, meaning that they have God's Word and then they go off from the right or the left. And how that Joshua could have gone to the right or the left, I think are the same things that could apply to us. Number one... Going to the right or the left of God's word is when it's done by willful negligence. Willful negligence. Meaning, if you have God's word and you know that you have the privilege to know God's word and you choose not to be in his word, then how are you going to be able to do all of his word? So willful negligence is knowing when you have the privilege to to have a copy of God's word and you choose not to be able to study it and to know it. Because if you don't have it, then it's, it's a great place, actually. It's, it's like this. It's what we would call kind of when you're nominal in your faith. Well, I'm a Christian. When's the last time you read your word? Well, I don't know. When's the last time that you were in the word? I'm talking about in it. Not like skirting it, but in it. To be able to meet with God, for him to change you and to challenge you. That's actually I would encourage you, on our month of prayer website, there's a devotion that goes up every week. John Jameson, our student pastor, put up his devotion this morning. It's on that very thing about being people of the word. I would challenge you to be able to read that devotion. So willful negligence is how you could turn to the right or the left, because if you don't know it, then how are you going to have, how to be straight. For example, let's give you an illustration. Imagine you're going on a trip and you know the destination, but you don't have the map. But you think, well, i got it figured out. But what happens is, if it's way off and it's got some crazy turns in it, then you're just kind of guessing. Guess where you're going to end up? Not in the right place. You have a map. And so the way by which to get there is through the Word. Let me tell you the second one. It's done by compromise. Turning the right to the left is done by compromise. Remember, God told Joshua, make sure that you do all according to the law that Moses had given. Compromise. Do you remember this is actually the way Satan starts out in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Remember when God told Adam and Eve, you can eat any of the trees except for what? The knowledge of good and evil. But then Serpent comes right along and says, did God actually say that? And then he turns right around and Eve answers and says, no, we're not we're supposed to eat these things. And then Eve tells him, if we eat of that, when we're going to die, then Satan comes right back and says, did God actually say you would surely die? Let's try to compromise the truth just a little bit. And that's how we can turn from the right or to the left. In our society, our society is pulling against what is biblically true. And so what happens is, in compromise, is turning to the right or the left when we want to hold on to the truth just a little bit and we want to take one shade off of it. That's how you turn to the right or to the left. What's the third way? The third way is willful disobedience. Willful negligence is different than willful disobedience. Willful negligence is you have the word and you just don't spend time with it. You have this particular one I'm talking about, compromise. But the third one is actually willful disobedience. is when you know what it says and you choose not to do what it says. That is turning from the right or to the left. All three of those are dangerous places to be. You will not have, quote, unquote, the success that God promises us in this passage of Scripture. If you choose to do it your way, you may have success for a little bit. But the Bible will tell us that there's joy in sin for a season. And the Lord will discipline those whom he loves. Well, what happens? Let me give you two examples. We won't have time to turn and look at all these. Let me give you one example of success of Joshua's group doing exactly the way God told him to do it. And one example of failure, not success, for not doing what God told him to do. You can just write these down. I'll I'll paraphrase them for you. I'll summarize the story. Joshua chapter 6. Remember, God has told them to go into the land, and wherever they go, it's going to be theirs. Wherever they put their, their foot, the people aren't going to come against them. Remember, the story is Jericho, Joshua chapter 6. God tells Joshua, remember, do all that I tell you to do. Now remember, turn the right to the left would be to do something completely different. Joshua is told some very unconventional methods to conquer a city. I mean, to go in 12,000 square miles, and rather than conquering with this army, the first thing that God tells Joshua to do is, I want you to march around the wall. Now, if you're a military person, that doesn't make any sense. Now, according to what we know archaeology-wise, the walls of Jericho were thick enough that a chariot could ride around the walls. That's pretty thick. And God tells Joshua, I want you to march around the walls one time... Once for six days, you know, the priest are in front of you. They're going to be blowing the trumpets. But on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times. And the last time, blow the trumpets, yell, and the walls are going to crumble crumbling down. Now, that's very unconventional, is it not? Yeah. Now, if you want to compromise and say, I don't know. Like, can we just do one time on the seventh day? And then we'll yell. If they would have compromised and done just three times and not seven and yelled, do you know what would have happened? The walls wouldn't have come down. And the people would have probably attacked them. But they did exactly what God told them to do. Joshua called call the people together say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. No, we're not told if there's any debate. It just says that's what they do. And they do it. And the walls come tumbling down. And guess what? The first measure of success takes place. Because Joshua has taken God's word, even if it doesn't make sense. And listen to me. That fits our culture right now. Parents, listen to me. Even if it doesn't make sense in regards to what God's Word tells you to do, if the culture is telling you something completely different, or if your children say, well, everybody else is. Who cares what the culture says? Who cares what everybody else says? God said this. And that's where you stand. Because we want to not compromise. Don't turn to the right or the left. Turning right or the left is being pulled by whatever ways of the culture, whatever it may be. Well, right after Joshua 6 is what's called the battle of I. Or Ai, as some would say it. In Joshua 6, God had told the people and says, make sure that you, when they go in, they would devote everything to destruction. And says, take the silver and the gold, we're going to devote that to the temple. But everything else is going to be devoted to destruction. Where well, there was one man who didn't listen, his name was Achan. And Achan, let me just put it this way. He put some stuff in his pockets that he wasn't supposed to take out of the city. Well, God knew it. Remember, they were supposed to walk around the walls, and they did everything that was success. Well, they go to this next town called Ai, and they're defeated. And actually, the spies go into the town and say, hey, don't send a bunch of people. It's just it's a small place. We can, we can tackle this. We can do this. And then what happens is they go in, and they're defeated, and 36 of their people are killed. And Joshua comes back, and he's broken. They like, get the report. He's broken before the Lord and says, Lord, what has happened? And then God reveals to him that Achan... Has compromised, compromised what God had said. In the way that I'm saying it, he has turned from the right and from the left. He has not done what God said. Look at Joshua 7, you're just a few chapters over. Notice what the word says. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Why? Because God had said, if you want success, you need to make sure you do all that I tell you to do, and don't veer from the left or to the right. If God says, I'm going to wipe those things out, I'm going to wipe them out. If he says, keep this, then you keep that. But don't compromise in any aspects at all. And the same is true for our lives. If we expect the Lord to bless and show favor and grace upon us, then we can't compromise, we can't veer, we can't be negligent, we definitely can't be directly disobedient. We need to make sure that we do everything that God had told us to do. Now, let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Let me move on for the sake of our time. It's not just doing all those things that God has called us to do, not turning from the right or to the left. But the second thing in verses 8, God tells Joshua two other conditions for success. The, first, the next condition is that he must read and speak the word. Now look at verse 8. I'm going to explain this one to you a little bit because it's not exactly what's said in the text. So the first one we know in verse 7 is to do all of it. But notice verse 8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now I have up there that the second condition is to read and speak the word. Now let me give you the background here. Now this is Joshua who is following after Moses, and God has given him the Ten Commandments. We know that, but when he's up on the mountain, God gives him much more instruction in regards to the way they're supposed to live. But Moses also, most likely, while they're in the wilderness in those 40 years, according to what we understand in Old Testament scholars and historians, is probably when Moses actually writes down these first five books. And so this is a time that there's not multiple copies of the law of God to go around. So Joshua is responsible for leading the people to know the word of God. So God tells him, don't let the law depart from your mouth. Now, the only way that it's not going to depart from his mouth means if he's going to be able to speak it, that means he also has to be able to do what? He has to know it, meaning he has to do what? He has to read the law. So listen to me. That means in order for Joshua to do this, In order for Joshua to stand and lead the people and speak the Word of God, then that meant, then his busy assignment... Now listen closer to me, because this is an excuse we all like to make. I'm too busy. None of you are leading two million people, so get over your busyness. In order for Joshua to be able to speak the Word of God, then that meant Joshua had to take time away from his busyness to meet alone with God and to spend time reading the Word. And he didn't have an app to flip it open real quickly. He probably had some scroll that he had to unroll. And so imagine with me if he's finding Genesis, he's finding Exodus, and he's finding Leviticus, and he's opening it up. He has to sit before God. It takes him time. But listen to me. His 30 years of success for Joshua's leadership that proves making time is worth it. You and I need to, we need to crucify the idol of busyness. If we want God to work, Then we need to pause and meet with him. Now understand there's four ways. Let me just kind of give this to you quickly. I think there's four ways to understand not departing from his mouth. Number obviously one I've just given to you. In order for him to be able to speak it, he has to be able to meet with God. He has to be able to read the law of God. A second one, imagine with me, he's not able to pull himself away from leading all these people. So he's going to be among these people. And so there's going to be times where, imagine, he can't, like, pull a scroll out of his back pocket. But if he's going to speak the word and God says, don't let it depart from your mouth, that means in, in his interactions with people, and his leading of people, he needs to be able to know the word of God to be able to speak the word of God. Now, practically, what does that mean for us? That means we need to have it in us so that we can speak it. We call that memorization. Now, some of us, I know, don't do a great job. I know what some of you call it, like you don't remember the address of the verse, right? Well, like, I know, you say, well, I know this truth, but I can't remember where it's at, where it's John 4, or 24, or whether it's John 3, 16, or whatever it may be. But listen closely to me. What you consume is what comes out. What we consume with our time and what we're watching, what we're listening is what comes out of us. Let me just illustrate this way. When our kids were little, some of you probably had this same experience. If you feed them enough carrots and sweet potatoes long enough when they're a kid, you know what happens to their skin? It Starts to turn orangish. Right? Anybody experienced that before? Okay, so what, what, what puts in us is eventually going to come out of us as well. And Jesus actually says it this way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we want to be able to let the Word not depart from us, then that means that we'd be able to spend time with Him. Now listen, it's okay if you say, I'm not scolding you, if you don't remember every chapter, book, and verse, it's okay. But because chapters and verses weren't part of the original, but just knowing the Word should be something that comes out of us when we're talking to people. I I can't tell you how many times where I'm just having a conversation with people or witnessing to someone and the Lord just brings a verse to mind. It wasn't something I read that morning, but just being in the Word and just spending time with the Word, the Lord just brings those things to mind. That's just the beauty of being in it. Let me just tell you the second thing. So the first thing is certainly he's making time. The second thing means that he's actually probably memorizing it. The third thing, also the way, the way I think that under applies to all this, is that as we understand for Joshua in this particular time, he's leading the people. So he has to not just study it for himself, He has to not just memorize it, but he actually has to teach the people the word. So in order for the people to then, not just, this, this instruction is not just so that Joshua can have success. It's so the people can have success. So now put this on your level. Of you as a father, husband, or single mom, or single dad, leading your family. Your job is to know it so you can speak the word to your family. How many times have you had maybe coworkers or neighbors or friends that were lost and come to you in moments of distress and time of need, needing direction, needing hope, needing wisdom, needing truth? Don't let the word depart from your mouth. And I think there's a fourth way I think this applies. Joshua's leading people. So let me just put it to you as a question. Do you think that everything is going to go smooth for Joshua? He's leading people. Are we always good sheep? And so he needs to be able to know that, hey, so I'm just kind of placing Joshua in his leadership spot. So God's saying him, to Hey, because you can read the book of Joshua and there are times that things get difficult. And so it's in those moments that when people come against you, Joshua, let the word be what comes out of you. Hold to the word of God. So whatever your job is, whether it's a parent or whether it's you being a, trying to live out good biblical ethics in your workplace and people come against you, don't let the word depart from your mouth. Let the word trump the way you live. Well, that's the th- second condition. Let me give you the third condition. So he's told him there in verse 7 to do all the word. He's told him secondly, to make certain that you are not letting depart from your mouth, that we're saying is reading and being in the word. The last one that is there is God tells him to meditate on the word. Look at the text there again in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Let me point out something to you about these last two conditions that connect with the first. And then let me define meditation. Do you notice, again, verse 7, he told him, told him to be careful to do all that the Moses had said. And then, notice at the end of verse 8, they, these last two conditions, these last two conditions is not depart from your mouth. And then he says, and to meditate upon it. And notice the condition. So that you could be careful to do all. All that is written. Do you see the connection? The first one that he told him was make sure you do it all. But then the last two conditions actually enable Joshua and us to actually do the first. Don't let it depart from your mouth and meditate on it. And that's how you're going to be able, Joshua, to do all that is in the word of God. Now what does meditation mean? Meditation, biblically, is not what you're thinking of when it comes to Eastern religion of meditation. Eastern religion meditation is to be able to empty out your mind, to reach the state of nirvana as it would be in Buddhism. Meditation, biblically, is to fill your mind with truth and to ponder the truth of God's Word. Literally, the word there, meditate, means to utter or to growl, to basically restate it. I like to illustrate it from my upbringing of a cow, that a cow chews its cud, It swallows it and it brings it back up and chews it again. Swallows it, brings it back up and chews it again. It's chewing on it to get every... I know it's kind of gross, isn't it? That's just my agricultural upbringing to be able to understand. Meditation is the aspect. You want to get everything out of the Word. This is the way I like to say it, and you've heard me say it before. The goal is not to get through the Word. The goal is for the Word to get through us. So meditation is that we're looking at the word. So those moments like I'm saying that for Joshua to be able to get along with God and to meet with God is to sit before him and not just say okay I read my daily bible reading plan check. But it's actually to sit before the God and meditate upon the word to read the word. So practically like for me to prep Joshua chapter 1 for you this didn't happen in 5 minutes. This is me sitting before the Lord and reading this text and reading this text and looking at the Word and unpacking these verses. And I can show you the arrows I have drawn on this particular page to point out that very point that I just showed you. That's meditating upon the Word of God. It's literally sitting before God and thinking about it. It's like a, it's like a jeweler who takes a diamond and doesn't say, oh, that's amazing, that's an IS-3, whatever the classification is. But it's a jeweler who meditates upon that beautiful piece of diamond. He takes his eyepiece and he looks at it he looks at every particular side. He turns it upside down. He looks at it under the light because he wants to get every analysis of that diamond. And you've heard me say before, I love the biblical exposition because I want to make sure that we're unpacking the diamonds that are here. Meditation happens. Just sitting before the Lord and studying the word over and over again. Why is that so important? Because what did God say to Joshua there in verse 8? If you meditate on it day and night and be careful, then you'll be careful to do it according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Do you notice that God actually adds something to the instruction here, the blessing? Now earlier he said if he did these things he'd have success. Now he says you'll be prosperous and then have success. What's the difference? Is there a difference? Oh, yes. The word there in this original language there, the prosperous, means that as you do this, you're going gonna to do this quickly. It's gonna, you say, 30 years is quick? Then you try to conquer 12,000 square miles. But for God to say to him, hey, if you do this, then you're going to be prosperous. It's going to advance. Wherever you're stepping, God's going to bring it to you. And then it's going to be successful. Then God's going to bring all of this to come to completion. And so then God gives him this final thing, these three conditions of, hey, you've got a big task, I want you to be strong and courageous, and here are the conditions, make sure you do all the Word, make sure you're not turning from the right or the left, make sure you're meditating on the Word of God. Those things are transferable to you and me. That you and I, every day, can sit before the Lord, and we're going to be challenged to be pulled to the right or to the left. You feel it, don't you? You know that you have. And the challenge is to say I want to keep my hands on the wheel and I'll just put it on autopilot and pilot and cruise. You can't just do that in twenty twenty four. You've got to keep your hands on the wheel and you've got to be intentional and you've got to make time for God, crucify the idol of busyness and be with the Lord and then make sure that you're spending time in the Lord. Make sure that you're looking at all the word and meditate upon it. Why? So that you can be successful as a parent. You can be successful in your marriage. You can be successful as a kid. You can be successful as a college student to accomplish what God wants to do in your life. Does that mean that you're guaranteed no difficulties? Not at all. But it means that when you face those difficulties, the success will be God will bring you through it because you're holding to the promises of God that He's going to be a God who's never going to leave you or forsake you. That's success, church. Well, was Joshua successful? Let me show you the end of the story very quickly. Turn with me to the end of Joshua. I want you to see... Joshua chapter 21, big task, big journey, but I want you to see God kept his word and Joshua fulfilled his assignment. Verse 43 through 45 of Joshua 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now, church family, listen to me. God's promises will never fail what he promises will come to pass. I don't know what's in front of you. I don't know what task that's in front of you. I don't know what hardship it is, maybe in your marriage, or maybe in your parenting. Maybe you just had a terrible loss this past year, and it's just been tough to get focused. I don't know what it is in front of you. But the same word that God gave Joshua... I believe God is wanted me to remind you be strong and courageous because the Lord is with you. If you are in Christ and He gave us the Holy Spirit to live in us, so be strong and courageous. Now, some of you are students and teenagers and college students say, I don't even know what God wants to do in my life. That's okay. Be faithful to the King right now. Soak up the Word of God Love God, love people, and trust that God's going to lead your way. And if some of you are waiting for a major assignment to start depending upon God, why would God give us anything else until we're faithful with where we are right now? So some of you in this room need to take some steps out of your apathy, out of your negligence, and take some steps into courageousness and obedience, and start walking with the Lord. It may be as simply of you making time to be with God individually. It may be you leading your family in prayer and the Word. It may be you making a difference to your grown kids that you think are saved, and maybe they're not, and you challenging them in their faith. Maybe it is you actually grabbing your spouse's hand and praying together, and not just praying over your Food, whatever the task is that God is calling you to do, the challenge that God gave to Joshua that God is giving to us, if we want God's favor, we want His blessing, then we've got to be strong and courageous. Don't veer to the right or the left. Make sure that you're doing all that He says and not compromising and taking the time that's necessary to meditate upon this great treasure that God has given us. So what does your time look like? What does your time look like in this great book? You know, I often wonder what it would be as your pastor if I was called and said, hey, I need you to preach such and such funeral. I wonder what it would be like if I had the question, can I see their Bible? A person's Bible can tell a lot about a person. How it's used. The promises. You say, well, pastor, I use electronics. Well, there's ways to highlight electronics. My point is this. What we consume and what we spend time with is what will come out in our life. Let's let 2024 be a step in the right direction to take our hands off of apathy and put it on god's word and let's do everything we can dads i'm asking you to step up your game i'm asking you to be here saturday lead whether you're married or whether you're single maybe a single mom maybe your grandparent having to raise grandkids wouldn't a task that you thought or assignment that you wanted be strong and courageous this year? And in this response time that we're about to have, it may be a time where some of you might need to simply have a time of confession to say, Lord, I've not done what I need to do. I have compromised. I have veered. I have not done all of your word. Simply share your heart and ask him to forgive you. But don't just leave it there. Make Make the pivot. And do what you need to do so that God can give us great success for His name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for this, this Word that You gave me for Your people. Lord, we want to be people of Your Word. Our assignment is not the same as Joshua's. We're not leading two million plus people. Or we're not walking in and conquering land. But we do know that the enemy wants to come against us. And you do tell us in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So help us to be strong and courageous that as we try to live out your word, that we know that the enemy is going to come against us, but you promise you would be with us. Lord, you gave some strong conditions for Joshua for this success to happen. You told him to do all the word and not to veer the right or left. You told him to not let the word depart from his mouth. And then you told him to meditate upon it. Lord, you have challenged us in our own walks with you that we must not just pick and choose, but we must do all your word. Lord, give us the power and the strength to not veer to the right or the left, but to hold to what is true. Not to bend to what culture wants or what other people may say, but God, if you said it, help us to rest and do what you said. And then God, help us to meditate, to ponder deeply, just like a jeweler ponders the beauty of a diamond. Lord, let Your Word sink deep in us this year. God, I pray for however You're ministering to people right now in this room and however You're ministering to those who are listening, and whatever areas You are challenging them to be strong and courageous with Your Word, I pray, God, that right now that they would draw a line in the sand And they would make the commitments that they need to make. Whatever it is that you're showing them. Whether it's a kid, whether it's a teenager, a college student, an adult, a parent, a single parent, a grandparent, or a widow. Whatever it is. Lord, let us be obedient to do what you've called us to do. And now as we sing this song to you, God, let this just be our song of response, of prayer to you, to praise you. Lord, let us be your people of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, it will be a time to respond. You can make an altar out of your chair, you an altar out of the stage, from the steps. There will be some people here to receive you for prayer. If you need prayer, you come and be obedient to what God has sent to you today.